Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Today we are um, going to close out our series entitled Bewitched. Um, and in this series, we kind of opened it up by talking to you about the power of the cross. We, we know that the enemy does his best to obscure what Jesus did on the cross because the cross is, in fact, powerful. And everything we receive in the kingdom of God, it came because of the price Jesus paid on our behalf. And then last week, um, we got a little bit stronger because I dealt with a spirit of witchcraft. We exposed the spirit of witchcraft. Uh, And I know many people, uh, the the feedback has been very, very strong on how needed, but uh, also how sore people's toes are uh, from that message. Um, But I enjoyed the message. How many of you enjoyed the message last Sunday? How many of we got to talk about the difficult things? Um, and so I told some people out in the mid-building today, they said, are you going to stomp our toes again? And I said, I, I don't think so, because you gotta, you got to pull up and pluck up, but how many know you also got to build up, right? Uh, and so I'm going to close uh, the series probably uh, on, a, on, on a more encouraging note, and I'm going to talk to you about the, the work of the cross. In week one, we did the power of the cross, but in this message, I want to talk about the work of the cross. Our key text for the entire series comes from Galatians chapter number three, verse number one. It says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. The word bewitched here means affected by or as if by witchcraft or magic. It means to be under a spell, to be enchanted, to be charmed or fascinated by someone or something. And we know throughout this series, we've looked at the fact that the Galatian church had allowed a spirit of witchcraft to come into the church that had obscured their view of what Jesus had provided on the cross. The enemy wants to obscure the cross because the cross is powerful. So powerful that 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And so on the cross, Jesus administered to Satan a total and eternal defeat. And how many of you understand nothing can change that? That what Jesus did on the cross, he defeated Satan. Satan cannot recover from that defeat. But what we have to understand is that Jesus has left it to the church to administer his victory. And so Satan's tactic is to keep the church from advancing by obscuring our view or perspective or understanding of the cross. This evil force that obscures the work of the cross is what we call witchcraft. It's what the Bible points to as witchcraft. And there are two aspects of the work of the cross. When we talk about the work that Jesus did, there are two aspects of it 
It's what Jesus did for us, but it's also what Jesus does in us. First, we understand that what Jesus provided at the cross, how many know everything we need comes via the cross? Every single thing we need comes through the cross. And I think a lot of us understand Jesus has provided that, but what we fail to understand sometimes is, is not just what Jesus did for us, but we fail to understand what the cross is intended to do in us. And, and so today I want to give you five different things, five operations that take place through the cross, things that God does in us through our understanding and our acceptance by faith what Jesus did on the cross. There are five deliverances that take place through the cross, and I want to walk you through these five. The first one I'm going to give you is the primary. The, the, the other four are, are more secondary if we don't get this first deliverance. So the first thing, number one, deliverance from this present age. Deliverance from this present age. This happens through the cross. Look at Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. It says, Grace and peace to you from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Now, this, is, this first point is the primary deliverance. Until we understand that it is God's purpose through the cross that we be delivered from this present evil age, we are not really aligned with what God intends to do for us and what he intends to do through us. Again, there are four other deliverances that follow in the book of Galatians, but I believe that the other four are the outworking of this primary deliverance, which is from this evil age, this present evil age. Um, and there's two Greek words in the New Testament that uh, describe age. Everybody say age. This, this term age, uh, we read it in the scripture, we see it in the scripture, but a lot of times we don't have context, but one of the meanings comes from the Greek word cosmos, which is where we get the word cosm cosmology, and it is properly translated as world. So when it says age, it's referring to the world. But it's not talking about the world in reference to a globe, okay? That's not what it's talking about. It's not talking about a globe. It's not talking about the earth in that manner as, as, as geographical or a globe that we're looking at. But it means the present world order. When, when, when he says, I've come to deliver you from this present evil age, he's talking about delivering us from this, this world order. How many of you understand that we have been called out of darkness into God's light? That we are not operating in the world's system or under the world's order, but we're actually a part of another kingdom that's totally different than the kingdoms of this world, but it's also greater than the kingdoms of this world. And God God says, I've got to deliver you out of this world order to bring you into alignment with my order. How many want to be in alignment with God's order and not the world order? 
And so there's got to be a deliverance that takes place. And we read about this in the New Testament. And it's what it means by, by being a part of the church. The word church is, is, comes from a Greek word. Um, I've taught you guys this. Ekklesia, which means the called out. It means that when you give your life to Christ and you follow Jesus, you're no longer in alignment with the world order, with, with, the, with what the world stands for, but now you are in alignment with the kingdom of God. And with that, we have to understand John 15, verse 19. Look at this scripture. It says, if you belong to the world, we've been delivered. How many have been delivered from the world, right? We've been delivered from the world. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. We see here a total line of separation, watch this, between the world and the church. The world is in rebellion against God. The church called out by a sovereign choice of Jesus to become the people of God. We are now submitted to God in alignment with God, which takes us out of alignment with the world. And the more the church is submitted to God, the more the world will hate the church. Did y'all get that? The more submitted we, we become to Jesus the more the world is going to hate us. And when we say the world, we're not talking about the globe. We're talking about people that are living in the world's order. They are submitted and aligned not to the kingdom of God, but they are in alignment with the prince of the power of the air. And so the more submitted we become to Jesus, the more the world will hate us. Jesus said, he said this, the world cannot hate you because you belong to it. The world will not hate you if you belong to the world. But it hates me, Jesus said, because I testify of it that its deeds are evil. If the world doesn't hate the church, it's because the world is inside of the church. I think we can go on home. When we are submitted to Jesus and we are living in accordance with his will, he delivers us from the world order, which takes us out of alignment with the, the world system. And I didn't plan to say this, but prophetically, I just I sense the Holy Spirit even now as I'm talking about this. How many of you understand that the lines are becoming more and more clear on those who are following Jesus and those who are not following Jesus? There is a separation that has been taking place over these last two or three years. And, and listen, it's not all a bad thing. It's not all a bad thing. There needs to be, listen, it, uh, some people get saved and their life doesn't change at all. And it's like, what did you get saved from? Saved from what? You're still doing exactly what you were doing. I told you I was going to be encouraging. This is not coming out encouraging. But there has to be a deliverance from the world system that God has separated us unto himself. 
We used words growing up like sanctification. We used words growing up like holiness. And, and a lot of it, I know, became very legalistic. I understand that. And I, and I get there's a difference between legalism and love. I get that 100%. But how many of you understand at the end of the day, when you come into a relationship with Jesus, he sets you apart. He makes you clean. He sets you apart from the world and the world system. You are not a part of the world. You don't fit into the world. That's why some of you are so frustrated because you're trying to do church. You got one leg in, but you got one leg in the world and you're not fitting in either place. It's time that you go ahead and draw a line and decide you're going to be a part of God's kingdom, submitted to God, in alignment with God. And who cares who gets mad about that? I don't want to fit into the world. I want to fit into the kingdom. God never called me to fit in. He called me to stand out. I need some help in this church this morning. If you believe that it's time for for the people of God to make a decision. Come on, if, you, if you're with God, let it be known. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. The church has been quiet for far too long, sitting in a corner somewhere, acting like we don't know no better. But I'm telling you, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. Come on, give him a praise this morning. I was supposed to teach. I told myself, I'm going to teach today. I'm going to teach. I'm not teaching. I'm preaching. But we need to be separate and not, not apologize. Not say, I'm sorry that I love Jesus. I'm sorry my family does it different. We have to stop apologizing for the things of God. Listen, it's... It, I had a conversation with, with Neil Hutchinson before church. It's going to get darker. The world is going to get darker. But at the same time it gets darker, I'm telling you, revival fire is going to blow brighter and brighter and brighter. Yeah, the devil's doing his thing, but listen to me, God is still doing his thing. Sick bodies are being healed. Those that are bound are being delivered. Those that call upon the name of, the Je of Jesus, they are being saved. And so there is going to be a great revival. I am so not on my notes. Jesus taught us that the righteous and the wicked are going to coexist right up until the end. That the wheat and the tares are happening at the same time. In the story of the wheat and tares, the workers said, shall we go and pull up the tares? And the landowner, which is God in that story, he said, no, because you might pull up some of the wheat with them. Jesus said, at the end of the age, I will send out my angels, and they will pull out the tares, and the wheat will be left. we we got to be careful about trying to pluck up the tares. And the reason we got to be careful about plucking up the tares is that it's not our business to separate them. It's none of our business. And the other part of that is it's too difficult. There's times I just want to pluck the tares out and say, I know that's a tear. It needs plucked. And, and it's none of my business. God says, leave, leave the plucking of the tares to me and my angels. 
I'll, I'll cover it. I've, I've had to have conversations with people before you know, within the church, and, and they come from a very good place about what are you going to do about this, and what are you going to do about that, and have you had a conversation? And listen, you all could keep me really busy running to all the tears. To go deal with this tear and deal with that tear, not understanding that by sometimes dealing with the tears, I end up plucking up the wheat. And it's none of my business to go around plucking out every single tear. It doesn't mean we can't have conversations with people or correct people. That's not what it means. But you got to understand, at the end of the day, there is coming a great separation. And at the end of the day, it's not up to me to decide what's a wheat and a tear. How many know it's up to God to decide what's a wheat and what's a tear? And let's leave that to his business. Let's allow God to do that. I've preached way too long this point. It's extremely important for us to realize that this age is coming to an end. And if we live as if this age is going to go on forever, we will be living in delusion. The, the next fact about this age states that the reason why it is an evil age comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. It says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. And so the question becomes, who blinds the minds of unbelievers? The, the answer is Satan, the God of this age. No wonder Satan doesn't want the age to end because he's spending his time blinding the minds of unbelievers to the truth of the gospel. And there's an alarming passage in Hebrews chapter 6. I hope you brought a pen or you're, you're typing down some notes because you may want to reference some of these scriptures afterwards. Hebrews 6 says, It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God, and the powers of the coming age. Five expressions listed in that text. We've been enlightened. We've tasted the heavenly gift. We've become partakers of the Holy Spirit. We have tasted the good word of God, and we have savored the powers of the age to come. Listen, when you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, you are immersed into a supernatural presence. It is a su it's supernatural in this age, but how many know in the next age, it's not supernatural. It's going to be ordinary. And so he's saying you got a taste of something that's eternal. That's why being baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues is so important because what that's doing is giving you a taste of heaven on this side. How many believe that we need the power of the Holy Spirit working in our church? Go ahead and give him a praise if you believe that. We need the power of the Holy Spirit working in our church. So we got to be delivered from the present age. Secondly, i got to move on or we're never going to get through this. Deliverance from the law. I'm going to ruffle feathers with this one. The main deliverance is the deliverance of the present age. The next four are different aspects of that primary deliverance. And the next one is deliverance from the law. In Galatians chapter 2, verse number 19, it says, For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. So when Christ died, you and I died to the law. 
that my old man was crucified with Christ. So through the cross and through the death of Jesus, which has become my death, through my faith, I have died to the law. Now this one's a little tough to grasp for a lot of people because the last thing the law can do to you and to me is to put us to death, to give us a final penalty. When it has put us to death, it can do nothing more for us. If a person is executed, he is no longer subject to the law. The only way out from the law is death. But in the mercy of God, what we understand is our death took place when Jesus died on the cross. How many of you understand? When Jesus died, you died. This is important. I, through the law, am now dead to the law. The law, watch this, has nothing left to say to me. Because I am dead. You have to be delivered from the law. If, we, if the law could work, Jesus didn't have to come. But what did Jesus say when he showed up? I am the embodiment. I am the fulfillment of the law. I am the fulfillment of what you couldn't keep, I kept. Anybody thankful Jesus kept what you couldn't keep? <clears throat> Some of us struggle with this concept because we're like, how could God's purpose be that we be delivered from the law? How could that be? Romans 6.14 says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. This means that you and I have to make a choice. We can't have both law and grace. If you are under the law, you are no longer under grace. And if you're under grace, you are no longer under the law. So I've got to make up my mind. Am I under the law? Which uh, the only thing the law can do for me is, is kill me. Some of you are like, I don't know about that. There's 613 laws. How many think you keep all 613? Let me just ask real quick. 613 laws. So I have to make a decision, am I under the law or am I under grace? And this is, this is so important because the only way to escape the dominion of sin is to escape from the law. And this option is provided by Jesus on the cross. Look at Romans chapter 7 with me. I'm going to take my time and teach this. Verses 5 and 6 says, For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions, which were aroused by the law. So what, what aroused my sinful passion? The law did. You know what some of y'all thinking right now? I can't believe that's true. That's in your Bible, not just mine. Okay, Romans 7 says that the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. 
Paul is not talking about being delivered from sin in this passage. He's talking about being delivered from the law in this passage. And he actually goes on in Romans 7 to use this analogy of a, a, a woman who is married to a man. And he says, according to the law, if that woman marries another man while her husband is alive, she is an adulteress. But once her husband is dead, she's free to marry another man. So according to Paul, we had been under the law, married to our carnal nature. And out of that union, being married to the law, produced desires that were contrary to the law that we were married to. And so Paul is conveying the good news is, is that on the cross, our carnal nature died in Jesus, and now we are free to marry another without being an adulteress. We're not staying married to the law, but we are actually married to Jesus through the Holy Spirit, and out of that union produces newness of life. See, a lot of us, the reason we get it wrong is we think, try harder, do better. Try harder, do better. Try harder, do better. And it's not about trying harder and doing better and trying harder and doing better. Whatever you are united with is what you will produce. If you're united with the law, guess what's going to be aroused? The law and sinful desires. But if you are united with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit, it's not about just trying harder and doing better. If I get united with Jesus, I start producing the fruit of the Spirit. So what are you united with? What are you connected to? For years, I spent years in a legalistic approach to the gospel. Try harder, do better, keep the law, keep the rules, don't break them. You know what I was? Miserable. Anybody feel what I'm talking about right now? But the more, watch this, the more I die to myself and unite myself with Christ, out of this union comes something beautiful. But I got to be delivered from this present age, but I also got to be delivered from the law. All throughout Paul's writings, he talks about being delivered from the law, that we are not under the law, but we are under grace. Now, when we are delivered from the law, some, some things that happen is, number one, uh, out of that deliverance means that you can live without condemnation. And how many of you understand this is a big one in the church? Because Romans 8, verses 1 and 3 says that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And so it's important that the condition God wants his people in is in a no condemnation zone. That there is therefore now no condemnation. Watch this, not because we tried harder, not because we did better, but because we are in Christ. And if we're in Christ, that produces a no-condemnation mindset. And so not only if we're delivered from the law will we not have condemnation, but we'll actually have freedom to love. Freedom to love. 
just as the law and grace are opposed to each other, so are legalism and love. I taught this last week. Legalism and love are on the opposite ends. You'll either be loving or you'll be legalistic. You'll either be legalistic or you'll be loving. But how many of you understand you cannot be legalistic and loving at the same time? It cannot work. God wants us free to love. Look at Romans 13, 8 through 10. It says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. This is very important. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. I want you to understand that, that love fulfills the law. Not only are we free to live without condemnation, free to love, but we're, we have a freedom to be led by the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 14 and 15 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage or slavery again. Isn't it crazy that people get saved and come up in the church and now they're in bondage? Now, we're, now our hands are tied. Now, we're, now we don't have free. It's like, you just came out of a lifestyle of bondage. Listen, I, didn't, I don't want God to set me free from a lifestyle of bondage just to come into church and live in bondage. So he says, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage or slavery again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. God has not given us the spirit of slavery, but the spirit of sonship. God does not want to produce slaves. He wants to produce sons and daughters. This is not going over that well, is it? Are y'all good? Come on, ask your neighbor real quick. Are you good? Come on, wrong neighbor. Ask somebody else. Are you good? Now, before I move on to point three. We need to hear sermons about being born again. That's important. We need to hear sermons about the baptism in the Holy Spirit because that is power to serve God, power to be a witness. But we, the only way you and I can become a mature son of God, a, a mature daughter of God, is learning how to be led by the Holy Spirit. we got to be led by the Holy Spirit. So deliverance from the present age, deliverance from the law. Number three, I shouldn't have to spend too long here, deliverance from self. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. How many know that we need to be delivered from ourselves? Delivered from the present age, delivered from the law, delivered from self. If you'll go with me real quick to 2 Timothy, I'm not going to spend long here, but I want you to see 2 Timothy chapter number 3. There's a list here. It says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers 
of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. Now, that list, is a, it's, it's strong, but what we miss with that list is that it can be summed up in the first line when it says in verse 2, people will be lovers of themselves. That's where it begins. The other interesting thing about this text is that Paul is writing to people who have had an experience with God and an experience with church because notice how he sums up this terrible list. They, they have a form of godliness. In other words, they may profess Jesus. They may profess relationship with Christ. They may come to church every single Sunday. But if you observe their lifestyle, they gossip, they're unforgiving, they're slanderous, they don't have self-control, they don't love good, they're ungrateful, they're disobedient, they're rebellious. He said they have a form of godliness. They come and check the box. It looks like everything is good, but the fruit that they're producing is not good. And Paul says, have nothing to do with such people. How many know that's strong? They have a form of godliness. What, what does it mean to deny the power? They, they have a form of godliness, but they're denying the power. It means their life hasn't been transformed. It's one thing to say, I go to church and I love Jesus, but if your life has not been transformed, you're denying the power of the gospel you're ascribing to. You're denying the power of, the, of, of what God can do in a person's life. Um, these people love themselves, and at the end of the day, they have not been crucified with Christ. And let me just say it like this. A lot of times what happens is, is that people, they say a prayer, but they don't die. When Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, he said, I want you to take up your cross Deny yourself. And when he said take up the cross, do you know that's, that's a death mechanism? And I think a lot of times we want to come to church and say, as I did growing up, and now I lay me down to sleep prayer, and now we're good. But if all you did was say a prayer and you didn't die, you'll have a form of godliness and deny the power. The only way to experience a resurrection, the only way to experience the power of God in your life and in my life is when we put ourselves on the altar and die. That's why the New Testament says we are living sacrifices. Living. In the Old Testament, you know what they did? They would take the, the sacrifice and they would tie it to the altar. And I always wondered, why in the world would they take a dead sacrifice and tie it on the altar? I mean, it's dead. It's not going anywhere. You know why? In the Old, te the, the Old Testament is a type and shadow of the New Testament. And so the reason they would tie down an Old Testament uh, sacrifice to the altar, something dead, couldn't move, but we're going to tie it down anyway, is because Jesus knew in the New Testament they wouldn't be dead. They would have to be tied to the altar until they die. How many know we need the altar? I know we look at it as a place of blessing, but it's also a place of death. 
It's a place where our desires die so that God's desires can come to life in our, in, in our families, in our marriage, in, in our individual lives. Deliverance from the present age, deliverance from the law, deliverance from self. Number four, deliverance from the flesh. Galatians 5.24. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The mark that I belong to Jesus is not my preaching ability. It's not my witnessing ability. It's not necessarily my prayer life or how much I read the Bible. The mark that I belong to Jesus is has, have I taken the time to crucify my flesh? Have I taken the time to put to death my flesh? Paul told us in 1 Corinthians that when Jesus comes back, that he is coming back for those who are his. This verse in Galatians that we read tells us that those who are his have crucified the flesh with its affections and its desires, and Jesus is coming back for people who have crucified their flesh. He's not coming back for everyone who professes Jesus. He's coming back for people who have crucified their flesh. Galatians 5.17, For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. It is your responsibility to crucify your flesh. That is not God's responsibility. God is in the business of saving you, empowering you, anointing you, doing all of those beautiful things that we want God to do. But it is your responsibility to crucify your own flesh. God's not going to do that for you. That's a decision that you have to make. What is covered by the flesh? There's a, there's a long list of things that would be flesh. Let me just deal with, with being a moody Christian. That's an oxymoron. A moody Christian first reflects a denial of the faith. Secondly, he or she is evidence that the flesh has not been crucified. If you're one of those people that just say, I'm moody, deal with it all the time, it's because you haven't crucified the flesh. Oh, I'm making a lot of friends today. Number five, I'm going to finish this up. Deliverance from the world. Deliverance from the world. Galatians 6, 14. But God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom or by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The cross separates us and releases us from a society that is not subject to the righteous government of God. Jesus said, you are not in the world because I called you out of the world. This does not mean that you and I are to close our eyes and, and pretend as if the world does not exist, this material world, this physical world that we all live in. But what Jesus is saying is that you are no longer committed to the world system. I have delivered you out of the system of the world 
and I have brought you into alignment with my kingdom. And as you submit yourself to the kingdom of God, you're going to become a whole lot different than the world. You're going to become more committed to Jesus and his cause. The result of being delivered from the world is that you become extremely committed to Christ and his kingdom. You also come into a place where you are free of Satan's manipulation. How many know when you're committed to Jesus and his word, you can't be manipulated by the devil? It's when we're not committed to Jesus and his word that we, we are manipulated by the enemy's tactics. We're also free so that we can refuse to bow. As the worship team comes, I want to read this scripture from Hebrews chapter number 10, starting in verse 35. It says, so do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done, all, done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. The writer of Hebrews says, don't throw away your confidence. Then he says something here that I think is very, extremely important. He said, perseverance is needed for you and I to obtain the promise of God. So we have a decision to make. Will we persevere or will we shrink back? Prophetically speaking, we are in a moment in history where people are being presented with an opportunity every single day to either persevere and keep going after Jesus or shrink back. And I love what the writer says, we're not a part of those who shrink back but we are a part of those who persevere till the end. How many of you understand when God gives you a promise, from the time that promise is given to you till the time that promise is fulfilled, a lot of times what you have to have is perseverance. If you're going to obtain the promise, when you're tempted to quit, you got to keep moving forward. When you're tempted to throw in the towel, you got to keep moving forward. That we're not a part of the group that is going to shrink back, but we're a part of the group that is going to continue to persevere into the things God has called for us to do and accomplish. As you stand to your feet, Romans 10, verse 4, says, For Christ in the, is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. How many believers do I have in the house this morning? Do I have any believers? This is important because if you believe, then Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to you. What does that mean? No longer will you achieve a level of righteousness by your adherence to the law. Your good deeds is not what gets you prepared for heaven. Do people who are prepared for heaven do good deeds? Absolutely. But there is no good deed that I can do that makes me in more of a right standing than what Jesus did on the cross for me. Anybody thankful for what Jesus did on the cross for you? I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes.
No one looking around for the next couple of moments. I hope that you got something from the Word of God. I'm going to ask that my prayer team, Compass Directors, uh, you guys can go ahead and move and get in, get into place this morning. But I want to speak to people that are in the room. And maybe today's that day for you where you need to draw a line in the sand and say, you know what, I've, I've had a form of godliness, but I've denied the power. I go to church, but I've not submitted to Jesus. I need to repent for my sins. I need to ask God into my heart. I need to pick up my cross. I need to follow Jesus. If you need to make some things right with God this morning, I'm not going to embarrass you, but if you know I need to make some things right and I want to take advantage of this moment right here while the Holy Spirit's moving, if that's you, would you just throw your hand up right there where you are and say, I need to make some things right with God right now. If that's you, thank you for this hand back here. God bless you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Don't miss your moment. The Holy Spirit is in this room. Jesus wants to do a work in your life. Anyone else, you would say, that's me. Just by throwing your hand up right there where you are. We're going to pray out loud, and I'm going to ask everybody to participate in this. There's no magic in this prayer. It's just us helping you to articulate what's happening in your heart and what Jesus is about to do in your life. Every voice lifted, say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I'm a sinner. I've committed sins. I need a Savior. I can't save myself, so I ask you, Jesus, to save me. Forgive me. I repent for all my sins, and I choose to follow you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you give Jesus a big hand clap this morning? Here, here, here's something I want to tell you as we get ready to sing. The worship team's going to, y'all, y'all ready? Y'all ready to go? We're going to open up this altar. And when we get what I just preached this morning, when we get this kind of stuff right, where we are delivered from the present age, delivered from the law and delivered from self and the flesh and all the things we've talked about and we really submit to Christ, something beautiful begins to happen. I believe that is the kind of atmospheres and we're seeing it in this church. We see miracles in this church on the regular. We see life transformation. We, we have seen, listen to me, church. I don't say this to boast about Bethesda Church. I say this to boast about Christ. We've seen stage four cancer healed in this church. We have seen blind eyes open up in this church. We have seen a miracle of a heart attack being healed and with no heart damage. We, we, we've seen people recover from strokes. We, we have seen backs healed. Both my shoulders got healed earlier this year. Um, God wants to do the miraculous. And the more we submit to his will, and the more we die to self, how many know that's just more opportunity for the Holy Spirit to flex in a way that only he can flex. 
So I'm going to open up this altar. If you need prayer for anything at all, we're here to pray with you and for you before they begin singing. If you got something out of the Word of God today, can you give Jesus the best praise you have all morning? Come on, let's give him a praise today. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.